Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. First, I want to apologize. We weren't able to be on last week, and they played a, uh, they played a tape from many years ago. Uh, it was about this time of year, but it, it certainly wasn't current. So I, I have no idea what the content was. I wasn't able to hear it. But the, uh, as I understand... Um, they had an advertisement on there from Glatmar. Glatmar is a sponsor of Kashmir's magazine, for uh, an advertiser with us and dear friends for, for decades and decades already. Um, father and son, Homishpacha, we appreciate all their, uh, all their support for Kashmir's magazine. But last week it mentioned specials at the Glotmart. Well, obviously, <clears throat> I, don't, I doubt that the specials were still in effect after five, six, seven years. So I don't think you, uh, if you, if you, if you ran down and they didn't know what you're talking about, I can understand what the problem was. I'm sorry about that. Um, in the future, I'll try to always point out the week that we're talking. We're, this, is the, this is the week of August 16th, um, 2021. So uh, if it's ever played in the future, at least you know when it was first played. Uh, the, the news is going a while. There's so much happening in Kashmir. I'm going to, I hope I'll go through everything. Uh, let, let me just start with, uh, first we'll mention a few items that came out in Koshagram that affect you uh, right here. And of course you can always get Koshagram from Koshagram. Uh, from the COR in Detroit. If you want to uh, look them up online, you can go CORDetroit.com and or look up Koshagram. Maybe you can get it that way. In any event, you should sign up and get it if you can coming to you. No charge at all. Um, they have some very interesting items. And after that, we're going to mention another item from the Cup K and some Yoshin news. And then we're going to talk about that very strange incident that happened with the Delta Airlines and the young ladies who were taken off the plane and had spent Shabbos in a foreign country, unprepared. And in addition to that, we're going to go into Israel. There's a lot of stuff happening in Israel. I want to report it as well as I can in the time that we have. So first of all, a kosher grim just came out August 4th, and it has a list of 32 Oreo cookies that even though they say OUD, they're all part of it. Um, you, uh, they can eat, you can eat it right after you eat meat. So you can't eat it with it, but you can eat it right afterwards. So, uh, th- th- you know, this is a standard procedure with the OU. They like to put the OUD and not to use DE unless they can control that, and uh, they do it very minimally to use the DE. And the D designation means that, A, it could be 100% dairy. Number two, it could be uh, like this kind of thing that you could eat it after meat, where it means that it was not it was it was uh, used on dairy equipment, but it doesn't ha- it doesn't have a dairy component. And then the third possibility is that they haven't even used it for dairy in any way. They haven't even used dairy equipment, but they have common equipment in the same area, and or they might use it on common equipment with dairy. So for the future, they put the D on. Because if you don't put the D on, then what happens when it does switch over and they're running it on dairy equipment? Uh, they don't want to fight with the company. They'd rather the company put a D on it, and you don't eat it. With uh, You consider it to be milchiks, because that way they protect themselves. Uh, that they, the company didn't tell the company that you can't use the packaging. So because that's expensive, very expensive, to be the water packaging in the hundreds, in the tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands of packages. So it's very important for them to uh, to not have to change packaging. So there's about 32 if you want to see it. I'm not going to go through the names. Uh, th- now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the, uh, the Slurpees. It seems that two new Slurpees flavors came out. Vitamin Water Zero's Sugar Gutsy FCB. It's, 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 it's kosher even though there's no symbol. And Vitamin Water... XXX FCB, also no Hashkocha needs to be on it. But this is only good 
if the um, if everything's okay with the Slurpees. He, I'm reading now what Kosher Graham says, which is what I've been saying for years, and people don't believe it's it's so at least you can hear it in the name of Kosher Graham, the C O R in Detroit. This information is for the benefit of cautious supervisors and consumers who inspect with permission of store management the labels on the 2.5 or 5-gallon bag in boxes of syrups in the back of the store, which feed the Slurpee machines. Well, my experience was, when the one time that I asked, and they had promised me that they would let me see everything, they refused to let me in to see what was there on the uh, 7-Eleven, uh, the Slurpee machine on the 7-Eleven on Avenue... Uh, I'm trying to remember now if it was M or J, whatever it was. It, uh, yeah, it was M. The, uh, the, the Slurpee machines over there, they refused to let me see what was in, bo- in the back. They said the, they're not allowed to let anybody in. So, I mean, that means that whatever I'm telling you has no value for you if you live in New York City, in Brooklyn. It's impossible for you to get uh, Slurpees that are properly kosher that you know they're kosher. You cannot get them. Why? Because the, uh, the 7-Eleven uses, uh, they use new flavors, which, could, which are not even certified yet, they use, for trial. They use uh, uh, non-kosher flavors. They use dairy flavors. And um, they get from, can even get from other places, not just from the, uh, from the Slurpee company. That's also an issue. But in other words, you have no control. So if you lived in a, a city like D- Detroit, a city like, uh, uh, a city like uh, Chicago, a city like uh, Baltimore, with a nice Jewish community, but not, not as big as New York, then, then you would be protected because the Kashrus Agency, they have a Vada Kashrus. And the Vada Kashrus does do work to preserve the, uh, the 7-Elevens and some of them are under hashkocha, and others there is. Uh, they tell you how to uh, inspect, and people are allowed to inspect. In New York, where there's no vadakashvus, there are hundreds of hashkachos, but not one single vadakashvus that represents a community that has, uh, you know, a community support and has any power. There are people who call themselves Vatikashvus, but there is no community support. There is no control in the community. There's no united community in Brooklyn. Uh, and uh, so it, nothing is done. I don't know what's done in uh, other boroughs. I only know Brooklyn. There is no solid Vatikashvus doing something for the community. Uh, all the Hashkachas are just giving Hashkacha and being paid for it, and that's it. So you don't have a setup similar to what goes on in, in Detroit or Chicago or Baltimore. So this, he said, so, so Rabbi Brody from Detroit is telling us that if you're in New York, this is worthless, the information I'm giving you, because you can't use any of the Slurpees. The flavor cards posted on the Slurpee machines in front cannot be relied upon to determine the kosher status of the Slurpee because they often do not correspond with the brand and variety of the syrup that's actually feeding the machine. I'm going to stress that and make it clear to you. There's two parts, he said, brand and variety. Now, we could say Coke, Coke, even Coca-Cola, and it could be uh, something else, another flavor that's similar, and it's cold, and it's wet, and it's, it tastes uh, you know, satisfactory. On sweet, and you might not even know, or you would say it's a little off this thing, but really it wasn't Coke or whatever it cut flavors like lemons for sure, you know, lemon, lime, this, that, you know, they're very, very similar. And uh, so, so it, it might be the wrong flavor. It also might not be the company that was approved because Slurpees is a specific. Company and sometimes they have uh, they have they they, they um, is a is a is a brand that they call it by the Seven Eleven the things that you that, that you drink over there, but the uh, but the the, the 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 flavors that are used can be from one company that uh, is an acceptable company when it makes a kosher product, and it could be from other companies. So A, you don't know which flavor you get, and B, you don't know which company you have, unless you inspect it yourself in the back. 
If you need help with it, you can always call me. But getting in there, I can't help you with. So that's really the facts. Number two, or three, whatever we're up to now, uh, the V8 original 100% vegetable juice, this is wild what I'm telling you here, in 12 ounce, 13, 2 ounce, 46 ounce, 64 ounce, and the 5.5 and the 11.5 ounces, all of those are OU certified, and they have an OU. There's only one that is not kosher certified, and it doesn't have the OU. And that's the 46-ounce can. So the 46-ounce can of V8 original 100% vegetable juice is not kosher certified. End. Unbelievable. So many products they can they could do with the OU, and then this one obviously is produced in a plant that's not under the OU, and the OU takes no responsibility for it. There's no way to consider it to be a kosher certified product. Amazing. The 46-ounce can. Okay, maybe that's not what you buy, but anyway, that's what the, that's what it sells, that's what the problem is. There's a company called Ferraro Pecans uh, from Illinois Nuts. They mistakenly say chocolate milk in the ingredients, but it's really part of it. Natural Earth Toasted Yaki Sushi Nori, the, you know, the uh, seaweed. In 0.70-ounce packages with the expiration date of February 11, 2022, was incorrectly labeled with the star K. It was not checked, and it's not certified. The other lots of the Natural Earth Nori are star K certified when they have the symbol. But in other words, this one went out... Um, it, it's it, it, with the symbol, and it was a mistake. So it's the 0.70 ounce package, February 11, 2022, Natural Earth Toasted Yaki Sushi Nori. Hopefully, the sushi store knows it. Okay. Next, Choco, I don't know how to pronounce it, Chocoa Crisp Strawberry Chocolate Decor Pearls from Chef's Warehouses has an unauthorized OU. On some of the packages, okay. A lot of other stuff here, and I'm going to read the last piece just because it's very important to all of us, and I don't usually go into this. McCormick makes a lot of seasonings. Many of them have OU. Many of them, uh, you know, they were 100% acceptable. But now we're talking about a recall that was because a possible contamination with salmonella, and that's Frank's Red Hot Buffalo Ranch Dressing that's made by... McCormick, and McCormick Culinary Italian Seasoning, and McCormick Perfect Pinch Italian Seasoning. These are making a recall because of possible infesta- uh, contamination with salmonella. Okay, that's the first item of the day. A quickie from the Cuff K. There's a uh, company called Dare to be Different. They make a thing called Broccoli Crusts, and incorrectly, it says mozzarella and Parmesan cheese. It's parva. Okay. Next thing, Yoshin news. The cutoff date for wheat was August 1st. Fresh baked wheat products could have been purchased in the Midwest until August 8th, and the rest of the United States until August 10th. We passed those dates. So now you need to check for Yoshin Hashgacha or check the codes. If it says Yoshin under Hashgacha, that's reliable then that's fine. And if it says, if it says that uh, codes, you know, the code dates is put out by the, uh, the guide to Chodesh, which you can always get if you want to uh, by going to the internet, signing up for uh, the, the guide to Chodesh. Uh, don't, uh, yes, here's the best way to contact them, projectgenesis.org, projectgenesis.org. Or if you, you can't, here's another one. You could say, why? Here, here's what you do. Chodesh, no, no, that's not it. Um, yherman20 at gmail.com. That works also. yherman20 at gmail.com. These are some of the ways you can sign up to get the Yasha news. Okay, so we said you need the codes. It's going to be in the guide to Chodesh. Barley has a cutoff date of August 3rd. So 
and it can only be purchased till August 12th. We passed that. So then you have to check the, the hashkacha, if it has, it has a kash, it has a hashkacha for a yashin, or you have to check the codes. Pasta products can still be purchased without checking. And that just came recently from Mrs. Ross Cam from the Guide to Chodesh, and uh, that's the latest information I have. Now, I'm going to take you into this story that all of us got lost in, and we felt a lot for these young ladies. And of course, none of us know exactly what happened, but I'm going to take you a little past there, and I'm going to give you a few insights that I had, which I think you'll enjoy. Number one, uh, you know, everybody reports things differently, but the way I understood it from the pieces that I read, a number of pieces here, 18 Orthodox Jewish schoolgirls thrown off Delta flight to New York because they were eating their own kosher food. I don't know if you read that version, that they were eating their own kosher food. And now comes a very, very interesting thing. They were eating their kosher food. As I understand it, it was written in this article, there appeared to be no kosher meals, and these girls eat only glatt kosher. So here you have girls up in the sky who have been together for a few weeks, enjoying each other's company, and they did a couple of things that maybe irked the staff. And that's one of the things I want to address about whether they should have done it, shouldn't have done it, and how to avoid these problems in the future. I have a few suggestions. But first, let's see um, what it is that they did and, and, and what happened. So the first thing to remember is they didn't have kosher food on the airline for them. They did have some food that they brought with them, which they wanted to use, which is quite understandable. I mentioned it at least once, but I'll mention it again. Uh, I was on an airline, airplane, coming back from Israel, and uh, there was no kosher food. Forget about glatt kosher. There was no kosher food. So they felt bad for me. And they came in with a first aid box. I got a little scared. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do to me. And it came, I was a young guy at that time. I was, uh, I was 22, coming back from yeshiva. And uh, they, 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 uh, they, op- they have this first aid box, and I'm getting a little worried. The lady opens up the first aid box, and in it are kosher foods from across the world. Across the world, it was like a like a kibbutz gullius in that little box, like everybody coming together, and they said, "Choose anything you want." In other words, these people, these goyim, this is many years ago, okay? These were many, many years ago. These goyim had collected pieces of kosher food that were in cans. I think it was all cans, I'm not sure I remember. But, you know, they preser- that they could preserve for a couple of years. And whenever they had one of those, they put it in the first aid box in, ca- in case they might meet one of us and try to help out. So I don't know, but I didn't take anything from there, but it was, but there was the thought that counted. I was very, very moved by it. But here, these girls have no meals from the airline. No food will be served to them. It's a long trip. What is supposed to happen? What is supposed to happen? They're supposed to eat. Everybody else is going to eat. So what is happening? They took some of their food and took off their masks to eat it. Well, I haven't seen a new innovation of how you can keep your mask on and eat your food at the same time. So obviously they had to take their masks off to eat. And the, the crew members came over and said, you're not allowed to eat now. Well, i got, got news for you. I won't be able to eat when you eat. So uh, the question is, number one, were they breaking any rules? Which I don't know. I don't know the rules. I mean, I tried to find out. I, I, it was very impossible to see. I saw articles that talked about yeah, you can take it off and eat short quickly and take a drink quickly, etc., etc. 
Now, maybe they procrastinated. Maybe one finished and one started, and they both had the mass off. And maybe they were two weeks together, and they would like to schmooze, and it was easier with the mask off. And if one was eating and the other one wasn't eating, so they, they thought that was a hetter. It could be they got the whole thing mixed up. I'm not sure. But one thing I'm sure is they should have been shown a little consideration. You don't need the first aid box, but at least realize these people don't have meals. And you could explain to them that we're going to have a meal time in half an hour. Can you just can you guys hold out a little bit? Could they could have said that to them, and maybe the girls would have listened. I don't know. I'm not. I don't know any of the girls, but maybe they would have listened. Maybe the staff. I don't believe that they were anti-Semitic. They could be. They were. And I think that some of these cases on the airlines were. I do not know whether this one was motivated by anti-Semitism or it was just a lack of communication, a difficulty because of the different um, experiences the girls had and, and, and how they were like so close and, and maybe they didn't really understand the rulings, pro- the rules properly before they went. And maybe they weren't sensitive enough to know that this thing could happen they should have been sensitized to it, that you know we don't get in the way of the of these uh, the of the true crew because if we do anything, they could evict us, and it could be a very very big messy thing. So I don't think they were aware of that, and whatever it is, it it blew out of proportion. But the the first point is that they didn't have food. That's what the articles by two articles here I saw. That they, they were eating their food, their kosher food, because they didn't have kosher food. One article says there was no kosher food on the airline. So that's certainly a mistake that should have uh, engendered a, a little understanding of these young ladies. The fact that the armed had an armed police escort and that they started fighting with this chaperone who wanted to get off and join them and they didn't want to let her off and then she ran off and they said, you're going to be arrested. I mean, I think... That was a little extreme. You have young girls, I don't know their ages, but they're, they're school girls. They're not uh, married ladies, and they're not, uh, you know, uh, 27. These are young school girls that are going on a trip, coming back, then they have a chaperone. I don't know what the chaperone was doing. I also accused about that. But there is a chaperone aboard. And here, the girls are singled out. And the chaperone is left there because she didn't do anything wrong. Now, between you and I, I'm convinced a thousand percent that not every one of these 18 girls did a thing. They considered them a group and lifted them up and took them out as, as a group, which I don't know if that's even legal. I don't know if it's even a, a policy of the airline. They said it was a, ordered as one group or something, but each seat is a seat. And they don't want you to move from one seat to another. It means that that is your seat and your seat only. The fact that you're next to somebody, if somebody was next to them who's not in their group, would they be thrown out? No, only the people in the group. Well, well, well why? You know, it, it doesn't really have to do um, with who did anything wrong in their eyes. Anyway, let's not get lost on it. According to the girls, though, um, it was A to K which means the first half of the alphabet. These girls were selected as a group and removed as a group. I don't know if they sat together as A, B, C, D. Could be they did. Maybe that's the answer. But uh, very possibly they didn't sit A, B, C, D. And 18, everybody from A to K was taken off, which was easy for them to select. There's a group of bunch of girls here, and we're taking A to K because they had them that's easy for them to find. Uh, I don't know if they went seat by seat. It's, a, it's an interesting question. I'm sure the lawyers are taking that up now. In any event, when they reached, it seems that it, the, the flight started out. Um, there's a Delta Airlines, and they reached Amsterdam, Chipol Airport, and that's where they were taken off. And they were supposed to go on um, the next, another flight, but that flight was not going to make it for Shabbos. So it ended up they had to stay there for Shabbos, but they didn't have visas. <laughs> so 
they're going to stay in the airport for this. So the lawyer had to get an emergency visa for them to allow them to stay in Antwerp for Shabbos. And they're going back, they went back either Sunday or Monday. Um, serious question. Serious question. We're sitting here reading this stuff, and we know that this has been going on for a long time, singling out Orthodox Jews. Um, one couple from Chicago with a child, very young child, uh, evicted because they said he smells, or they smell, or all of them smell, which doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think people conduct themselves that way. And if they're sweaty a little bit in the, in the air, I, I don't think that the that deserves being evicted from the flight. Um, others were evicted because uh, they supposedly weren't wearing masks, even though the uh, filming of it, uh, some people caught videos, shows that they were wearing masks. So it's a little bit hard to understand how that one went down. Um, a lot of these may border on or may go over the border on anti-Semitism, but not always is it anti-Semitism. And that's what I'm, I'm specifically concerned about. I'm not so much lost in this thing, what the face mask rules are, and etc. the chasadim that had to be done. But two things come to mind. One is the role of the chaperone. What is the role of the chaperone? Now, if before the story, there all the chaperones sit, sit down and, you know, and once in a while say the girls, please be quiet, don't make them make a, a ruckus. That's all. You know, because that's in the old days and that's what was in the planes before this corona and all this other stuff. It was simple, you know. Girls behave, that's all, finished. But now I think it's much stronger. I think, A, the girls have to be trained and B, the chaperone has to be given specific instructions what to do. And I'm going to give you what I think the chaperone should do before the plane even goes up in the air. This is my idea. You may have different ones. I think there should be a list of every one of the names. Here there were 50 girls, 50 names and their seat numbers. And it should be given over to uh, a steward, stewardess, with a couple of copies to be given to the other members of the crew. So that technically they did have every member of the crew um, receive this little paper that I'm talking about and hear this little drusher that she says, and it should be recorded. It should be recorded, and in the recording, they should get the name, it's the first name, it's enough, and the name of the stewardess, or steward, who gives, given, this was given to. And the, the stewardess, stewardess will answer, you know, my name is uh, Charlie, or Susan. And, and at that point, they have a verbal statement. I know pictures, but I would say, uh, you have a little recorder, you put it in your pocket, and you, um, you record. And this way, at least you are proof that you gave over this paper. And then you request that any break of the rules, any interference with the crew members, anything, not wearing masks, eating at the wrong time, getting out of seats, lack of respect, any for the crew's requests, anything, should be brought to me. In other words, let her or him take the brunt of it because then that person is in power and all she or he has to do is get up and say, ladies or gentlemen, this is going to get, we don't want to get evicted. We know what's going on here. This has been a tough haul for everybody in the last few years. Um, we need A, B, C, D. And you better do it, otherwise it's going to be, your parents are going to hear about it. Something like that. I don't know the word exactly. But that's what I would say that, you know, because the, the leader, whoever she or he is, is in a position to demand that respect and to get it across in a way that sometimes a steward or stewardess won't do. Like, for example, the steward or stewardess might just say, put your mask on. And they, say, and they, they take it as a joke. They don't realize put your mask on means you're breaking the rules, ma'am. So if that the uh, but if they go to the the chaperone, she or he will know that uh, there's a little danger sign here. They'll get the message better than the girls will. I I think there's a lack of communication. Um, I think many of the evictions 
they didn't understand the power that the, the staff had, and they didn't understand how nervous they are because of the whole situation. Some of them may even be new, and they didn't get it. An adult will get it much better than young people get it, and especially when you're sitting with your friends. Number two, or three I'm up to, um, the chaperone should say that any complaints should be directed to me, not to the young ladies or the young men. I know that they're doing X, Y, and Z. If it's wrong, then all you do is tell me, even if it's, you know, I will take care of it. And that, that may also reduce tension because going to them directly, a kid could say something back that could be understood as not respectful, even though it wasn't meant to be not respectful. Remember, the kid is standing next, sitting next to her friend or his friend, and they are, uh, they feel, you know, they feel relaxed about it. And in a sense, they're showing off to their friends, whereas the adult gets it better and will be able to explain it better. So to, um, and she, she or he should say, I will, uh, will ensure complete adherence to all the rules. That's what he sure, she should say, and it should be recorded. And it should be that if you come to me, I will make sure that they all, they all cooperate, every one of them. So just I, I don't want uh, to make any, get any attention. These are kids coming back from a, a beautiful summer, and uh, maybe they're exuberant, maybe they've got to share things, maybe they laugh a little bit. It's not, uh, you know, they're not with their parents right now. So uh, I, I can take care of everything. And they also should establish at that point what the limits are of eating, drinking, and wearing the masks. That should be clearly explained to the chaperone and taped. If you do that, if the chaperone tapes it, and they can even play it back if they have to, these people will probably rip it away from you, but the still point is you have a, you have a valid proof of what occurred. And you've communicated properly with the proper authorities. And I think that would preserve that nothing like this would ever happen again. Without, in addition to that, these boys and girls have to be explained in advance that we, it's, it's not our world. We're in Gullus. Uh We're coming on into non-Jewish territory. Even if you're all sitting together, it's still non-Jewish territory. And you have to play the rules, their rules, and you have to do it l'chatchila. The Chavetz Chaim was in a hospital, and the doctor said to somebody, I have 500 patients, a big hospital, I have 500 patients, but only one of them follows my orders perfectly. And, and, and that's it, it is Rab, the Rabbi Israel Meir Cohen, Kagan. That's the only one that follows my rules exactly. So adhering to the rules, whether there, there was a health issue there, here adhering to the rules is a matter of kid Hashem or Chil Hashem. And it's a matter of Sakana, it's a matter of a lot of things. That message has to get across. It should never be that the kids should be so flippant as to disregard that. So these are some of the ideas that I have in this regard. Um, this is what Delta said. The safety and well-being of our customers and our crew is always the, our top priority. Delta flight DL47 today from Amsterdam to New York, JFK, was delayed after a group of passengers on board refused to follow the crew's instructions. Refused to follow. Now, it says a whole, it's a group. Right? It says a uh, group of passengers. Well, first of all, the group of passengers was 50 people. They only took off 18. Um, the group of passengers, uh, all of the 18, you know, didn't listen to the instructions. I don't know if this is really an accurate report. After the, re the group refused to leave the plane, all passengers were asked to get off the plane, according to Delta's protocol. So we got to figure this out. And somebody wrote a cute little line. He said like this, I have a question. What's the problem with taking your face mask off to eat outside the official mealtime? Is the spread of the virus controlled during authorized mealtimes? 
Obviously not. But the reason is, the, I, I think the reason is because uh, they can't monitor it very well. If everybody's taking a nibble, they can always say, I'm just taking a bite, I'm finished. And then they'll have no control. That may be so, but was it explained up that way in advance? That said that, it, that if you, even if you don't have any meals or anything, you have extra, extra thing in your pocket, you can't uh, take off your mask until meal times. Was it said that way? I don't know. If it was said that way, then the girls are at fault. If it wasn't said that way, then the girls understood it the way they understood it, and there was nothing wrong with them understanding it that way. If if somebody told them, no, put your mask on, so I'm trying to eat, then they said, put your mask on. They don't understand that that means you're breaking the rules. And if that's what it meant to the stewardess or the steward, then at that point, the girl or anybody should back down and do whatever they say. Because the next step is, Chil Hashem, even if they don't throw you off the airline. Let's say they let you stay, but you've already made a Chil Hashem. And it's public. You know, so it's not a joke. I, I, I think this is very, very important, and I think our people have to address it. Instead of using the word A word all the time, anti-Semitism, which may or may not be true, but I think that that's not the whole game. I think we have to think about our responsibility. My, my points are the chaperone, and the proper training of the young people before they get on the airline. And uh, yeah, we have to sensitize them to this, uh, to this situation. That's the simple thing. By the way, you know what they had to do? They were informed by KLM's partner, Delta, uh, that they you know, go on the next flight, which we couldn't do because they couldn't do it because it was going to be too close to Shabbos. They, but they'd have to pay each one of them $2,678 in order to go on the next flight. They'd have to pay each one $2,678. That's 2,000 euros per ticket and $275 per girl for forwarding the luggage. That's a lot of money. To be held up in the airport there, you can't go on without 2678 in our pocket before we let you go on the next flight. That's a real ripoff. So, but let me tell you what happened, though. It just is interesting, the story. So they get there, and it's nighttime, I suppose Thursday night, um, and Rabbi Yanki Jacobs of Chabad on campus brought kosher peaches, pizzas from Shepoil on Thursday night, yeah, and they delivered to the group, you ready for this? By the airport's Christian pastor. The the, the priest brought the food to the girls. They wouldn't let the rabbi in, but the priest, who was an airport pastor, was allowed to bring in the food to the, to the Jews. The Jew, kosher food came vis-a-vis -vis a Christian minister. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, boy. What a, what a story. Now, I'm in Israel, and that's the next step, Right? Um, this is a town called Arara. That, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's A-R apostrophe A-R-A, Arara. Maybe it's Arara. I can't really pronounce it. Anyway, this town is an Arab town in Israel. And they discovered 20,000 pounds of trefa meat being prepared to be passed off as kosher. Again, it's a town in Israel, Arara, Ararara, and they had 10 tons, which is 20,000 pounds, 20,000 pounds of meat that was with, and they found them with forged kosher certificates in Israel. But that's not the worst. Listen to the next line. Border police raided a factory in the town of Arara and suspicion that it illegally imported meat from Judea and Samaria, it, uh, forged documents, and next words, listen to these, sold the meat to well-known stores around the country. They must have had some good sales job. They were selling it to well-known stores, which means it's not a ma and pa store, it was a, probably a, a supermarket of some sort. They got rid of it, they were getting going to get rid of 20,000 pounds of trefa meat as kosher. Beef and sheep meat. 
They had smuggled it in under Palestinian authority control. The areas from, you know, from parts of Israel that are under Palestinian authority control. The forged Kashra certificates seem to be from one of the well-known rabbinical courts in Israel. No name was given. We have no idea what that hashgacha was, but it's supposed to be a well-known, which means a respected Kashrus agency, where they were going to rip us off and make believe this, laugh at us here. 20, 000, it, maybe some was given in the past. How did they catch this business? It's very interesting. It seems that uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the tax authority supervisors collected material from the factory showing many of its receipts were irregular and collected footage of the monies. So this has been going on for a while. So we do not know how many thousands or tens of thousands of pounds that this group had been distributing kosher in Israel to well-known stores. It seems that the uh, initial information came from the border police, and it led to a joint operation of the border police officers and the agricultural ministry, the tax authority, the green police, and the labor ministry. Unbelievable. It says the border police has intelligent units which operate in the field of agriculture across the, around the country. The intelligence activities expose crimes of, on a national level which lead to operational activities together with the various enforcement agencies. This was a major, major case. Date on the article, August 5th. Now I come to one of the saddest parts. We've talked about it. I, I, I have tons of stuff to talk to you about, but this one I cry about. We understand there's been a misunderstanding going on between certain groups in orthodoxy. We understand that some people are looking at the Rabbanut as Haredi, which in Israel is the word of saying, you know, like over-the-top kind of orthodoxy. Uh, that's how they're looked at. But the, who's on the other side? So we, we mentioned it last time. It seems that the... the one person, in particular Matan Kahana, was part of the new administration, and he is in charge of the religious affairs minister. He's a religious affairs minister for Israel. Matan Kahana. Um, now, when I first reported this, we did not know what was causing him to say all these things. We just thought it was these people who were in the new government came up with this idea. Unfortunately, we found out now that he was working on behalf of a certain group in Israel. So let's, let's first listen to what's going on here. It seems that, again, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but uh, they were trying to set up a system where they remove the Rabbanut HaRashit, the head chief rabbinate of Israel would be removed from the responsibility of making kashras in Israel. They would say, you no longer give certification to products, but you will be a supervisory agency over the, all the hashkochas that we're going to let do it now. In other words, we're taking you out of kashras completely, but you're going to be an umbrella organization. You're going to be an overseer. See, even though we didn't trust you, at doing kashrus, but we'll trust you at being the overseer over kashrus, which makes absolutely no sense. And who will be there? Anybody who wants to. It's going to be open field. There'll be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hashkachas. Impossible to, to control. Impossible to, 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 to say I'm meeting the, the qualifications. You'd have to be running after those hashkachas. It's hard enough to do to, to run after the people who are in the stores now. Now we have to run after the people who are claiming to be running after the people in the stores. So you're going to... I don't think there's manpower enough to do such a thing, a, an, a, a super agency, without being doing kashmas itself. It just doesn't even make sense. 
and they never spoke to the uh, to the Rabbanut about it. So the Rabbanut came out very strongly, and here's what the Rabbanut said. I have a couple of quotes here. One quote. The council of the chief rabbinate was established by law in order to give instructions in Jewish law to the people and will not cooperate with the decision to turn it, the chief rabbinate, into a council which accepts dictates in order to implement political policies which contravene Jewish law. Principles of Jewish law are not up for negotiation. The Torah of Israel cannot be changed. That's from the chief rabbinate. Now, the chief Ashkenazi rabbi, David Lau, voiced support for the council decision, saying in a letter to the chief Sephardic rabbi, Yitzhak Yosef, that religiously traditional Israelis, we call Mesorati, which they've aligned themselves with the conservative movement, Mesorati and the tourists would be harmed by the reforms, since they would not know how to discern between reliable and unreliable kashva certifiers. That's plain stuff. Now I'm going to tell you what it says from, from, Rabbi, from, Rabbi, from Matan Kahana. This is unbelievable what I'm telling you now. Religious Affairs Minister Matan Kahana admitted on Sunday, well it's not this Sunday, but two weeks ago or something, that the kashrus reforms he formulated are based on the opinions of the Rabbanim of Tsohar, a liberal religious Zionist organization with similarities to the open Orthodox movement in the United States. That's Tsohar. Rav Yitzchak Yosef already warned of Tsohar's approach to Giyord, which is conversion, which is next on Matan Kahana's agenda to change conversion. The, the head of Tsohar, listen to this. A letter written by the men, uh, I don't have this in front of me now. But it seems that somebody from Tsohar, do I have it here? No. But it seems that somebody from Tsohar approached one of the chief rabbis and asked him to accept uh, conversion of all Russians who want to convert, even if they're not observant, all Russian children who want to convert, even if they're not observant and the parents are not observant and they're not going to yeshivas or anything, that they should be accepted. And that's what uh, one of the Tsohar people asked the chief rabbi to do, which of course he refused. Uh, yeah, here I have it. Rav Yitzchak Yosef already warned of Tsohar's approach to Giyur, which is next on Kahana's agenda, saying that the head of Tsohar tried to convince him to mass-convert Russian miners who would not be Shomri Torah mitzvahs. And this is the group that is backing Matan Kahana. And Matan Kahana is connected with this group. And on the basis of that, he is trying to change kashras and conversion in Israel. And also marriages. Uh, I have an I have actual, I think another quote here. We'll get it in a minute. Matan Kahana said, my motivation to implement kashrus reforms in halach- is halachic, not only economic. My agenda in issues of state and religion, including kashrus, are known to all. From the start of my entry into politics, I declared that my path is one of, the, one of broad understandings between secular and religious. My path is the derech of Tzohar Rabbanim. That's what he said. Now, um, the, he also is backing, and the whole new move, the whole new government is backing, opening up the Kosel to conservative reform, to have their 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 prayer services mixed, right in front of the Kosel. 
So this is so-called um, halachic. And, uh, you know, what can I tell you? My stomach turns. The dozens, uh, they, a, gr- a lot of rabbis got together and they issued a letter. This is from the, with the Rabbanut. And they said as follows. Changes in the kashra system mean the abolition, the abolition of kashras in the state of Israel. The opening of a bazaar of bodies with interests that will grant kashras and the possibility for each person to grant kashras when the result is, one, the destruction of kashras. This is coming out from the chief rabbis and a group of Dayanim and Rabbanim that met together. We continue. This is part of a general trend of harming religious services, kosher food, marriage, conversion, the ultimate goal of which is to abolish the identity of the state of Israel and to eliminate the rabbinate in Israel. Conversion cannot be done uh, out of civic, social, and cultural interest, but only out of sincere desire to part, be part of Am Yisrael and its mitzvahs upon receiving the yoke of Torah and mitzvahs. You can't convert people because you want them to be feel like Jews, you know, join the Jewish people, be part of us. It has to be that you want to observe halacha. And that's it. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be what this new group wants to be in Israel. Uh, If you read statements, there's some interesting statements saying that the motivation that they really have is to make bonds with the non-Orthodox Jews in America and the rest of the world. So in other words, they want the money they want the visits, they want the aliyah, they want bonds with, they want bonds, actually to buy bonds, Israeli bonds, they want, they have, they're losing the support of the non-observant Jew in the other countries. Well, I just had a whole story with somebody who was in Israel getting married and, and, the, and, the, and the family was all upset that they have to prove that they're Jewish, which is every, everyone has to prove that they're Jewish, I think, I think, every, I think everybody has to do it on some level, um, in order to get married. And they, feel it's, they felt that it was like the Orthodox are pushing it. I mean, but they're pushing it because there's so many non-Jewish people that are trying to filter into Judaism. It's very, very, very difficult. It's a reaction. Not, it's not the, the Orthodox and the ultra-Orthodox are making up new rules. It's that we're trying to preserve the old rules and people are trying to get around it. So we have to make things to protect us. Anyway, I've given you enough of the heavy stuff. Even though I have one more here, i got to do the next one. I, I'm sorry I can't. I must tell you the next one. Unbelievable. You think you heard everything? This is unbelievable. The IDF soldiers have to keep kosher, meaning that they have to. The, the dining room is kosher. Okay, the dining room is kosher. There was this incident a bunch of years ago where somebody got a sandwich from his home, was ham sandwich or something, could he eat it on the plate? They let them eat the sandwich. They're going to let them eat treif. If you're coming home from Shabbat and your, your father gave you a ham sandwich, so you can... You can enjoy it. But now they want to use the microwaves in the areas where they live and use it for trafe. They want their freedom. And they're suing for it. They're fighting the rabbinate of the, of the IDF that they have the legal right, the moral right, to eat trafe and use the microwaves in the apartments, in the area, and use the refrigerators and everything. So refrigerators, they couldn't help it. They had to say, if you cover it over, you can keep it in the refrigerators. you got trafe and kosher there. But the microwaves, so they came with a new one, will have two microwaves. The kosher one and the trafe one. Oh, my goodness. And who's going to watch that you don't stick yours into the kosher just to make everybody... I mean, come on. This is what we have... They took away, there was a rule you couldn't eat chametz in the, in, the ho- in the hospital. Now they said you've got to be able to allow the Jew, they, the rabbis cannot do that. We can bring chametz in the hospitals. They want the, now the soldiers to be able to warm up their tray for food in uh, where they're living. It would hurt them tremendously not to have the ham sandwich or the, or the pork in, the warmed up 
it would the, the, called basal lavan. They would hurt them tremendously not to be able. It's their freedom. It's they call it a religious freedom to be not religious. It's, that's what they called it. The IDF. This is uh, from the lawyer, from Hidush. Hidush means Chidush, which means uh, that you're going to try to change everything. The IDF soldiers and officers have the right to enjoy freedom of religion. This is called religion. Freedom of religion means that you're not going to force me to eat kosher. Uh, my religion is that I eat treif, as stipulated by Israel's de- Declaration of Independence. The IDF and its rabbin has no right to violate this right within the walls of army bases. Secular and non-Jewish soldiers deserve the right to be deserve to be respected no less than their religious counterparts. And if the IDF does not respond, we will not hesitate to turn to the courts in order to, in order to curb this religious coercion. They have little kitchenettes where they have to share this place with the, the religious Jews and the non-religious Jews, and and now they they want to be able to bring non-kosher in there and warm it up, heat it up, cook it, do everything there. Here's one statement, which is a wow. It really is the P.S. de Resonance. It's the, the bottom of the barrel. The army rabbinate's megalomania, megalomania means that they only think of themselves, megalomania, and the free hand they receive makes them feel like they can continue to infiltrate realms over which they have no authority and violate the rights of secular soldiers over and over again. The rights of secular soldiers. What are we making them do? Go to Minion three times a day? Nobody's making them go to Minion. We put on tefillin? No. We're saying, don't take away my kashras. There is no reason why a secular soldier should not be able to take to eat non-kosher food outside of the mess hall or cook food for themselves. You see, they neither want to cook, not just to warm it up. Whether kosher or not, or on Shabbat, or a regular day. You have to sleep in a room with a guy cooking treif that's smelly, smelling it. and You don't have chelant in the room, but he's cooking his treif, and that's what you have to do. You have to sit there and smell that stuff that he's doing on Shabbat. So whose religious freedom are we talking about? or a toaster that he can use, that he, he bought from home. In other words, we are clipping their wings. For this, there's two organizations, Hidush, which is like Hidush, but that's how they pronounce it, Hidush, and one more organization, I don't have it right in front of me, but it's on one of these papers, uh, and these two organizations are fighting the Rabbanut and trying their best to get the right to cook on Shabbat treif in their rooms and the army. So something's wrong, whether you want to put all the blame on, you don't want to put all the blame on the secular Jew, you want to say we have responsibilities, we have to understand them, could be. Let me off no. Let me end off in something nice. This is a story. It's true. It was just from August 9th. From the Chabad. A professor was aboard a maritime training vessel in the Atlantic and he needed kosher food. The professor keeps kosher. Rabbi Yossi Lazarov of Chabad of Texas and A&M University sprung into action. In keeping with his kosher diet, Chief Engineer Milton Korn of the USTS Kennedy had been eating only canned tuna and sardines as the vessel prepared to dock in Galveston, Texas, ahead of a 56-day Coast Guard training cruise. To the onboard chef, Mark Cruz, this was not an acceptable arrangement. He felt bad for Milton Korn. I'm going to call the Aggie rabbi, he told Korn. The Aggie Rabbi, that's Aggie is with his Texas A&M. Rabbi Yosef, Yossi Lazarov, known to many students as the Aggie Rabbi, has worked with Chef Cruz for, for over seven years to provide kosher dining at Texas A&M University. As director of Chabad of Te- at Texas A&M, Rabbi Lazarov, himself no stranger to catering for people, at the Roar Jewish Cent- 
Jewish Student Center, he hosts over 70 students for weekly Shabbat meals and famously delivers matzo ball soup to students in their dorm rooms when they're feeling under the weather. When he received a call from Chef Cruz, Rabbi Lazarov immediately took action, purchasing four large coolers of kosher food and preparing matzo ball soup. He then set out from his home in College Station, Texas, to meet Cruz in Houston, where they stopped to buy the equipment and utensils necessary to keep kosher aboard the ship. After arriving at the ship, then docked in Galveston and delivering the food and utensils, Rabbi Lazarov tweeted, Let's just say, mission accomplished. Rabbi Lazarov said, This is an unusual case, but serving the needs of Jewish students, faculty, staff, and former students is all in a day's work at Chabad at Texas A&M. So I thought it was a really, really, really special thing. And I told the Chabad people that, you know, and there's a tragedy, and everybody responds, and Chabad brings food and does something, they're lost in the shuffle. But here, it's a one-on-one. It's a Chabad rabbi jumping in to help this fellow keep kosher on this long trip somehow that he was caught. So I, like, I wanted to end off on a good note, and I wish everyone a wonderful week. This has been your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine, wishing everybody a wonderful week. If you want to reach us, 718-336-8544-732-534-9363 or Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Have a wonderful week.